This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe financial technology. In this episode, we're lucky to have Henry Richaud, Deutsche Bank's former operating chief, interviewed by our own Alistair Lucky's founding partners at Motive Partners. They are discussing some of the potential outcomes of the technology disruption for today's banking incumbents. Hi, good to see you. Fine, thanks. Who do we have today with us? It's a great honour that today we have Henry Rochot, who's a member of the Global Advisory Council of Motive, but has a very esteemed career in the financial services industry. Thank you, Al. So I've been uh, in financial services about 30 years in multiple different geographic regions and multiple different product lines. Much of my career has been at Deutsche Bank, where I started in sales and trading and ended up on the management board responsible for technology operations and a great deal of the infrastructure of the bank. You and I have, I think, as we've got to know each other, have had a, a meeting of minds that fintech's not a new thing. Banks have been using technology to fight their own challenges and battles for many years, but it has become a thing, an industry in its own right, in the last sort of 10 years, probably since 2008, I think we can point back to. We all know that banks have a, and will continue to have an important role. But is it fair, Henry, to say that this battle, this battle for Middle Earth, the survival of banks as anything more than a utility is real? I think it's quite real. So my observation would be that through decades, banks have been relatively good at innovating inside their own culture, inside of their own organizations. And I think it took a confluence of some dramatic changes in the regulatory environment, a dramatic banking crisis in the United States, followed by one in Europe, and tremendous technological change. Mm. Uh, to drive a lot of the innovation that takes place in the banking system out of the banks and into startups and particularly what we call fintech startups. Absolutely. Right and, and, and I suppose as we've watched... Yeah, if we think of technology as the horizontal, and many people still fall into the trap of thinking of it as an industry, you know, this kind of vertical of technology alongside banking, we all know it's all pervasive, right? And we've seen the disruption and, and the complete overhauling of industries like retail, with the likes of Amazon, of music with Apple and others. And I've been stunned that I still meet people in the financial services industry that believe regulation and the fact that they look after people's money, not crazy for green tones, is the thing. Thing that's going to save them and actually you know regulation particularly the opening of the firewalls through psd2 and gdpr is probably their biggest threat as well as their biggest opportunity would you agree with yeah, that? yeah you made a, a bunch of really impactful points there i guess starting with the geographic region that you and i both know and love which is the uk the regulatory mandate there is highly differentiated in other words the regulators have a charge to both protect, mm. um, but also to encourage competition Absolutely. and innovation. That's a highly differentiating mm. mandate. And that means that PSD2, MIFID2, GDPR, 
and the way it's enacted, especially in the UK, will create a tremendous amount of pain to the incumbents and legacy players. If they approach this from the perspective of we're a bank, as opposed to approaching this from the perspective of how do I use some of the changes in technology to actually take advantage of this regulatory change, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you can treat yourself as an incumbent or you can treat yourself as an innovator in Absolutely. this space. I agree completely. And, um, you know, I know some of the work you've done over the years in this space. You know, one of the things when I'm fortunate enough to travel around and meet with the C-suite of the banks and the regulators and talk to them about it, it is an opportunity, but the window will not remain open, okay? And I think about the supermarket model, as we call it in the UK, that if you own the shelves, what, what did Amazon do? You know, how many retailers underestimated this bookseller, this online bookseller, and said, I've got a website, you've got a website, doesn't make any difference. What they did is they always understood that content follows eyeballs, not the other way around, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that banks have to start thinking about is, if I've got all these customers that interact with me daily for banking services, what are the other services that I can provide to those consumers to make their lives a better place? And that's quite a big flip for a bank to think about. It's quite it? a big flip, though. I, I will rush to add that in my view, there are multiple ways for current banks to succeed. And in the current environment, again, I'm a little bit more focused in my comments on Europe than the United okay. States. Yeah. Uh, but in the current environment, uh, the confluence of regulatory change, technological change, and the way in which financial services are consumed by people, those could lead to different outcomes. So I can imagine certain banks very focused on a particular consumer journey. Mm -hmm. I can imagine certain banks very focused on a particular product area. I can imagine certain banks that are designed to become the infrastructure to other non-regulated financial services providers. Yep. Right? And within such a large sector, I could see and imagine a world where many niche providers are quite successful. And nobody needs to start off thinking they want to be the Amazon of banking. Mm -hmm. That is a model for certain types of you know, banks in certain geographic or in certain product areas. But I don't think you need to start there. Amazon, as you pointed out, started as a bookseller. I think it's really important to remind people who are in the banking space right now and have been for many years that there are ways to succeed starting in a very focused way. Absolutely. And, and I think you've perfectly just described what we here as a motive um, spend all our time thinking about, which is the fusion. So where the old meets the new and the big meets the small. Banks for many years have protected themselves by building schemes, by collaborating. Visa and MasterCard, two of the great examples of fintech innovation. All that's changed, and I think this is the excitement, clearly why we exist as Motive, as a full-stack investment firm that finds companies that can scale, but also recognize that without the bank's distribution, you can't get to as many eyeballs as you need to. Where that meets in the middle around a regulatory cloud or a regulatory opportunity you can suddenly see some very substantial new platforms being born. And I often think back to companies like PayPal. You know, eBay brought PayPal in. They almost mandated that PayPal was the way you pay. And the baby outgrew the, the mothership. I think, you know, this is the opportunity to banks. And it's certainly where we're putting our energy and efforts. Do you think that, you know, we need all the banks to understand that today? Or do you think you can get to scale with a, a small number? I think there are a number of different scenarios that I could envision. In one scenario, Alistair, I could imagine 
a large number of banks simply failing, not in the sense of financial failure, but Mm -hmm. failing in the sense of not growing, being stuck in a particular market and particular... Isolating themselves, yeah, absolutely. Without any prospect for the future, many of those banks, I think, will get rolled up over time, right? So there is, you know, a part of me which says it's okay that there are legacy Mm -hmm. providers, Mm -hmm. right? Banking utilities. In this case, I'm thinking... bank as a utility. Yeah, but in in this case, I'm thinking like kind of useless utility. Right. Nobody really wants them. They're there for a while. They kind of eke out a living, subpar returns. They barely return anything to shareholders. You know, I could see that happening for another 10 or 15 years for maybe even longer for those sorts of incumbents. And then they kind of die somehow, get rolled up, get bought out, just close. And that's okay. That's capitalism. I think that's perfectly fine. You know, in the regulatory environment that we have, depositors will be protected, clients will be protected, and so on and so forth. That is a bit of a sad future for, I think, a large number of banks, but I think that will happen. And so the question then becomes, who are the few that can really transform themselves? And what do they choose to do when they transform? So my observation would be that in the traditional, particularly European-centric global universal banking model, which I know the best and, and much better than other geographic areas, when you're transforming, you can't transform everything at once. Right? Yeah. If you had five business lines, suddenly you have to ask yourself, okay, what are the one or two businesses yeah or even the one business that I'm gonna bet everything on, right? And if I look at big transformational pivot points that firms have done, they've always said, okay, what are the one or two things that I'm gonna focus on? I'm gonna make big bets there. And go execute. And that's where I'm gonna go and execute. So the challenge, I think, to incumbent players in this space is, and particularly with the European focus, how do they choose those one or two things that they can be excellent at? just stop investing in anything else mm. and really focus on those one or two things that can be excellent. It's a great insight. And that's always, um, when you see it done well, it's just awesome to watch. And uh, It's awesome to watch, really hard to do, because imagine you've got five different business lines. You know, it's like five different children. Which one do you favor? Yeah. Right? How do you, yeah, you know, convince the board that this is the one, yeah. right? How do you convince yourself that you're going to stop investing in everything else and just take such a big bet? It's a huge act of courage that has to be taken by the CEO and the rest of the management team. Nobody else can do it. It's a leadership thing. Absolutely. And we see, you look at the fact that the top five companies in the world by market cap valuation are all technology companies. They know they have to reinvent because they were the disruptors first time around, right? So they know that if they can disrupt, they can be disrupted. And so it's a different psychology. Look, Henry, it's it's wonderful to have you here. We're we're going to wrap up we've got a couple of quick questions for you um which, rapid fire q a yeah we okay, always like to ask our learned our learned colleagues who in business today do you admire the most you're killing me because it's such a wide variety of people there's an archetype of person so rather than just yeah, one okay, person there's an archetype of person you were saying something earlier today also that really struck me is very perceptive this concept that a leader must spend 70% of his or her energy on a core set of mm. foci, 20% of their energy on areas that operate in tandem to yep. that core focus, and then 10% of their energy on blue sky ideas. I admire that, and there are very few leaders that can do that, but that archetype of leadership is really a very powerful one. I'll throw my hat into the ring. I look at what uh, Satch is doing at Microsoft. Do you think of a company that has kept reinventing itself? You know, 
the other person that I've had the huge pleasure of working with is Ajay Banger at MasterCard. And he's a true global citizen of the world and someone that I think applies that logic that you just talked about. But we're in a fortunate time of business leadership. I'm not sure I'd say the same about political leadership, but um, yeah, we're at a great time of, of business leadership, actually. Um, best investment you've ever made, either personally or in your day job? My wife. Fantastic answer. And what do you think will be the most promising geographic region over the next 100 years, Henry? The United States. Well, as on the basis we're sitting here in New York, the World Trade Center 7, that's a pretty good way to finish. It's, it's such an honor to have you here. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Alistair. A pleasure. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no ob- obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.